You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. Well, hey, uh, if you were with us last week, we started off a brand new series called Best Sermons Ever. And uh, Pastor Bob just brought the house down, just brought the best sermon known to man to kick us off. Uh, He did a great job. It was great having him. And uh, we're excited for week two of this with uh, Pastor Daryl Del Husse, that lovely silhouette in the middle. He's joining us today. We're always glad to have him. He's been in ministry for 50 50 years, uh, just uh, a wealth of experience with teaching and pastoring. And uh, he's currently serving as a chancellor of Phoenix uh, Seminary, uh, former president of Phoenix Seminary. We're always blessed to have him with us. So I want to invite you to help me in welcoming Pastor Daryl Del Husse with us today. Thank you, Josh. So this will be the second best sermon ever given, I guess. (laughs) Uh, You know, I've been um, told life is getting tougher. Um, Boy, I kind of relate to that. Three weeks ago, I had my my wallet and my phone stolen at the same time, which really does kind of put you back because you grab for your phone to try to cancel the cards you realize you don't have a phone. Um, but, you know, you start wondering, you know, it's, the more I hear on the media and I hear from people around me, it's like things are just, just falling apart. But then I thought, well, maybe things are really just falling into place. I don't think Jesus is really too surprised. I mean, he's the one that said, you know, as things go along, it's going to become more like the days of Noah. If you know what that was like, you go back to Genesis 6, 5, and it says, the intent of every man and woman was only to do evil. I mean, it's going to get worse. But remember, it's not falling apart. It's falling in place. You know, it's our tendency to want to curse the darkness because as the world gets darker, you kind of want to just kind of... And yet, everybody's cursing the darkness. Everybody's telling how horrible everything is and how corrupt this is and how corrupt and unfair and unfair. But you know, what is it that darkness really needs? I don't know if darkness needs more cursing. Uh, It just may need a little light. And yet, how do you bring light? Maybe instead of cursing the darkness, we Christians ought to be thinking about lighting candles. I want to break out of the metaphor. That's a nice thing to say. But how do you actually light a candle? How do you bring light to, to, to darkness? You know, there's a lot of themes in this uh, world. There's themes to books, themes to movies, themes to songs. Have you ever thought what the theme of the universe is? I, I mean, you look at the universe, and, and I, once we get over that maybe it's not about us, that, that you look at Psalm 19, it says, and the heavens declare the glory of God. And you go, whoa. You know, Carl Sagan said the universe is so huge. There's got to be life on other planets because we're a pinny little planet over on the corner. We got a great view of the rest of the universe. But how can we say it's just us? Because it's so huge. But the Apostle Paul in Romans 1 gives another explanation. He says, you know, we're really without excuse because of the creation Because he says, God made himself known through what he has created. We know God doesn't want to hide. How does he begin the Bible in Genesis 1-1? Hi, I made everything. Get a clue, I'm here. Well, in the same way, Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare his glory. What's that? That's what God is like. 
But it's the Apostle Paul in Romans 1 that gives us a clue. When he kind of says that we're without excuse because that which God wants us to know can be seen through his creation. And then he specifically says two things. His eternal power and his divine nature. Now what's this eternal power thing? Well, if you were God and you wanted to communicate not just your power, that you could do something, but this concept of eternal power, how big would you make the universe? I think it's about the right size, wouldn't you say? And when he talks about it, he wants to declare his divine nature. That's his intelligence. Well, how complicated would he make the universe? I mean, come on, what am I doing right now? I'm blowing air, vibrated with two little things in here. It's well, vibrated air hits your tympanic membrane, and it's connected to three little bones that vibrate those bones, which is connected to like a thing like a seashell. It's full of goop with little hairs in it. And somehow I'm vibrating your eardrum, vibrating those three little bones, vibrating the goop in your cochlea, and the little hairs are wiggling, and you understand what I'm talking about. I mean, is that not complicated? Take some kind of intelligence. I don't know any technology has pulled that one off. So God seems to be smart. So I look at the creation, and I say, wow, God is big and powerful, and he's smart. The only trouble is I was kind of a squirrely little kid, I know that's probably not hard for you to picture, but I, I got beat up a lot as a little kid on campus, and we had these kids, and they were powerful, strong, and they were smart, and we called them bullies. So if I look at creation, and I look out there, and all I know is that God is powerful, and he's smart, how do I know he's just not one big bully, and he's messing with us? But you see, God wanted us to know more about himself. That's why in the very first chapter of creation, Genesis 1:27, God says, and then God created man, both male and female. And what did he do? It says, God created man, male and female, in his own what? In his own image. Do you ever wonder what that meant? You can search the scriptures and you will not find any other created thing made in the image of God. Uh, no animals, no angels. You see, to be made in the image of God means we have a capacity, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, don't you know you've been bought with a price? Want to know your purpose? Therefore, glorify God with your body. The word glorify is the word doxazo. It means partake and manifest his glory, his person. Everybody can see that he's big and he's smart, but what about his love, his forgiveness, his personality? What's he like? And God said he created human beings in his own image because we have a capacity to manifest. No worm, cat, dog can do that, nor any angel. You say, angels? No. What do you learn about God by looking at what the angels do in the scriptures? All they do is obey, 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 obey. You learn to obey, but you don't learn anything about what God is like. But the only trouble is God creates man in his own image to manifest the beauty of what he's really like. But all human beings are made in the image of God, so that image is pretty smudged, wouldn't you say? Because I can manifest love and caring and forgiveness and selflessness. Yeah, but I can also show off hate, anger, self-centeredness. And most people, no wonder people are confused. What is God like? Because we get all kinds of weird visions through those created in his image. So the question, if I'm going to bring light into darkness... Somehow I'm going to be different. Interesting, Peter says, be holy as our Heavenly Father is holy. Now, what do you think holy means? 
Well, it's not goody two shoes. It's not I don't smoke, I don't drink, and I don't go with girls who do and smoke. I mean, it has nothing to do with it. My dog is as holy as that. The word holy, the Hebrew word simply means cut away. The idea of holiness is difference. Different from. Like, like a painter is different from his painting. And so he never becomes like his painting. He's different from his painting. So it is God is holy. God's not his creation. He's different from the creation. But here's the kicker. He sees what the creation's turned out to be. And he says, I want someone to be different than the creation. As different as I am. Holy. Well, how different am I supposed to be? I mean, we can work really hard of being different. And then some of us can just be different without even trying. And that's not always a good thing. So how do you show this light into darkness? How do I let the image of God in me manifest what he's really like, the beauty of what he's like? And in the same way, how do I get started with this thing, reflecting his image through me? Well, you get started by first understanding, are you a child of God? So you can understand, God had enough creatures he got the creatures of the cosmic snazola. He's got dogs and pigs and worms and cats and dogs and you. And the only thing is this. Creatures relating to a creator, usually it's out of fear, indifference, or you just don't believe. But God never wanted us to be mere creatures. That's why he created us differently from everything else by creating us in his own image. Because what kind of relationship did God want you to be, to have? Well, he wanted you to be Christians. You know, Christian is a label that was slapped on us 2,000 years ago back in Antioch in Acts 17. You see, uh, back in those days, if you were a compatriot of Rome, then every six months you pinched a little incense and you would cry out, Caesar is Lord. Caesar, the Greek word is Kaiser. And so they were called Kaiserianus, Caesar worshipers, compatriots. But our ancestors of the faith would not say Caesar is Lord. They would say Christ is Lord. So they began to mock these people saying they're Christerianus and the name stuck and we're called today Christians. But you know, God the Father never calls us Christians because anybody can call himself a Christian. People say church is full of hypocrites. <laughs> I usually say there's always room for a few more. Come on, come to my church, you know. <laughs> what is Christian? But God calls us his what? Remember John 1.12, as many as believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to them, God gives the right to become the what? His children. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, don't you know it's the spirit of God in you bearing witness with your spirit, reminding your spirit you're a child of God. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, God says through Paul, I may be your God, but I will be your father and you'll be sons and daughters to me. That's the relationship God wanted. Think about the Trinity, what's in itself. You got this mystery of, of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Do you ever wonder why did they go by that, that terminology? It could have been God number one, God number two, God number three. Number one, so loved you, he sent number two. Number two died on the cross. And because of the death of number two, he went ahead and, and sent number three so that both would be able to honor number one. Now, if you're a mathematician, I guess that would make sense. Isn't it interesting what kind of relationship did God want? Even within the Trinity, father to a son, a son to a father. And he wants those he created in his own image to be his children. Because catch it, 
If you have a great father, then you have one deep desire, and that is you want to honor your father. You want the world to know how great your father is. In other words, you want to use this body to glorify your father and fulfill your purpose why you were created in the image of God in the first place. So if that's how basically you get started, and you get started by the fact that Paul says in Ephesians 1, at one time you were listening to the gospel and you believed, and Paul says you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. God like put part of himself in you, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now it says you were listening to the gospel. What, what, what were you listening to? The gospel, the good news, the euangelion. It simply means that there's a God who loves you. And the only trouble is that we turned our back and decided that we wanted to basically live for ourselves. I want to manifest how great I am. Forget anybody else. And so it's called the cosmic betrayal. Turn our back on our creator. And if God's basically saying the wages of sin is death. If you don't want anything to do with God, fine. The consequence is you'll have nothing to do with God. But see, God so loved the world that he, what? Gave his only begotten son. God doesn't want to lose you. He wants to provide a pardon, forgiveness. And that's why he sent his son to die on that cross. Because God's still just. And he would pour his holy wrath for all of our sin on his son. That's why the cross is such a big deal. And then God would raise him on the third day to show in history it's a gift from the Father of a pardon, of forgiveness. And then that's why he says in Ephesians 1, you were listening to the gospel, you believed, and then what does it say? You were sealed by his spirit. God placed his spirit within you. Ezekiel 36 put it this way. When the Messiah comes, he will sprinkle you clean of your sin. He says, but then he's going to pull out that heart of stone Put a new heart in you, for he'll place his spirit within you to cause you to walk after his statutes. Jeremiah 31, 33, God says, I will so forgive your sins, your iniquities I will remember no longer, and I will take my law and place it in your heart. So it's not like I've got to do rules and regulations. All of a sudden, I have a desire to do so. They put that whole thing together. Well, then I will show, if I'm going to show the beauty of what my heavenly father's like, he needs me, my heavenly father. But how do you know you know? How do you know you're a child of God and not one of these people who claim to be a Christian? How do you know you know? Well, I pray to prayer. I go to church. I read. Boy, it's kind of like, are you going to be able to do enough to convince yourself? Well, here's the whole thing. You can't be manifesting the beauty of your heavenly father if you're really down in your gut. You're not sure you are. So the question, how do you know you know? Well, John's going to deal with that in this letter. John the apostle. John the apostle, he gets off the island of Patmos. Remember he, Domitian, around AD 95. Domitian gets really ticked. All the other apostles, the eyewitnesses to the resurrection Christ, they're dead. They've killed them all, except for John. Well, why, kill, why not kill him too? Well, another martyr. Church is growing. So they decided to just throw him to a penal island called Patmos, just off the coast of Ephesus. And you, and you see, that was a penal island. There was, there, there was no food service. There was no medical care. You got on the island, you starved, you died, you rotted, they threw in the ocean, and you're fish food. And that's how they get rid of people. 
back then. Wow. So Paul, so Peter, Paul, Peter, John, John is on the island, and he's there, and he's exiled, and there he gets a visit. Remember, he gets a visit from home. Jesus, and he writes the book of what? The book of Revelation. Now, have you ever wondered how we got the book of Revelation? Because if you rot on that palace, even if you rot and you die, you end up in the ocean fish food, so anything you've written ends up as fish food. The only thing, he doesn't say he had visitors. You don't get visitors on the island of Patmos. But you see, Jerome in the fourth century tells us John got off the island. John got off the island. One of the officials of Domitian assassinated him. The Roman Senate decided that the acts, the edicts of Domitian were so horrible against the Christians that they repealed most of them and John gets off the island. And he goes back to his home church in Ephesus. That's where he was arrested. Because remember when Jesus was on the cross? And, and, and you don't blow smoke when you're on the cross. And he looks down, where are the apostles? There's only one. He's right there. Who is he? He's John. He's the only guy standing next to the mother of Jesus, Mary. And remember here, Jesus taking the wrath of God for the sin of the world, and he's caring about what? The care of his mom. And so he says, John, you take care of her as your mother, mom. He'll take care as your son. And in Acts chapter 7, we read there was such an explosion of persecution in Jerusalem. John got Mary out of that city as far away as he could all the way to modern-day Turkey, which was called Asia Minor, to the city of Ephesus. And that's where Mary lived out her old days and where she died. I've been there four or five times. They got a big memorial to the gravesite of Mary. Well, so John goes back to Ephesus, and he delivers the book of Revelation. Actually, those seven letters in chapters 2 and 3, he hands deliver those to those seven churches that make up a circle in Asia Minor right there in modern-day Turkey. Well, John lives out his days. What's interesting, Jerome tells us when he was so old he couldn't even walk, they would carry him from church to church to church because people wanted to hear this last of the apostles, the eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. You'd pay 20 bucks a ticket. Well, they would carry him from church to church, and Jerome tells us all he would say is, my little children love one another. He'd repeat it three times. Love one another. Love one another. And of course, people responded, I paid 20 bucks for this. So they pushed back on it. And when he was asked, why is that all you're going to say? He says, because it's the command of the Lord. And when it is done, his word, it is all sufficient. All sufficient. Well, interesting, while John is there, kind of the presbyteros, the bishop there in Asia Minor, after he said, well, the book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible. Of course it is. It's about the end of the world. That's where you put the book. But it's not the last book that was written by the Apostle John. He wrote three more books. First John, Second John, and Third John. And here in his first book in First John, he's dealing with third generation Christians because he's well in his 90s at this time. Remember, they're carrying him around. And what's very, very interesting, first generation Christians, well, they were alive at the times of Jesus. So they either met him, saw him, or at least heard about him, or read him in the newspapers, you know? The second generation of Christians, well, these are the people who believed because they know people who were alive and saw Jesus and knew all about Jesus. But the third generation, their faith is based on the people they know that thought that they knew 
and they're struggling, and you know it's just like us. We place our faith in the testimony of someone else who said that they saw the resurrected Christ, and that some of those were the apostles. Matter of fact, in John 17, the night before Jesus arrested, he's with the boys up there. He prays for them in John 17. And then he does an interesting transition. He says, now, Lord, I want to pray not for these here, but for those who are going to believe because of their testimony. You know, it's the only place in the Bible I ever find Jesus praying for us. Because we believe because the testimony of the original apostles to the resurrected Jesus Christ. So here, John basically writes this letter because these third generation believers, they had these teachers called the Gnostics coming in Really confusing them, saying, well, you're not really, you don't know you can know because you got to have visions. You got to have special knowledge. You got to do this. And these poor guys are freaking out. They, I thought I well, had eternal life. Now I don't know. And you can't show light to a world as a child of God and manifest the beauty of your father if you're not sure you got a relationship. Well, that's why John would always tell us why he wrote what he wrote at the end of his book. He did it with the gospel. He does it right here in chapter 5 of 1 John, verse 13. Here's what John says. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order, here's the purpose clause, in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, the Greeks had a couple words for knowing something. They have the word gnosko. When you don't know something, you read a book, you learn it, now you know it. So you come to learn something. That's the word gnosko, not the word John uses here. John uses the word oida, which means to know something from experience intuitively so there's no doubt. Well, well, how can I know from experience so I have no doubt? Doubt about what? That you have eternal life. Well, isn't it eternal life that I'll just live forever? Everybody will live forever. The soul doesn't die. But what does eternal life mean then? Well, Jesus himself defines it for us through John. Back to that prayer in John 17. First two verses, Jesus says, Lord, I've come that they might have eternal life. And this is eternal life. He's about to define it. To know you and the one whom you've sent. In other words, eternal life is to have a relationship. Not with God as you're some mere creature and a creator. You're scared to death of him. But no, 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 no. Like he said, he's your father, daughter, son. That's the relationship he wants. And that's what motivates you to want to manifest what your heavenly father's like. Bring light in the darkness. Light candles, in other words. Well, if that be the case, how, how does he make it? He says, I've read these things that you might know. Well, these things, this book he wrote. Well, John is a fisherman. And it's not really easy to outline John. See, Paul, in his 13 books, he's a scholar. He's a lawyer. Uh, and so everything's therefore, therefore, therefore. Everything's an argument. Easy. It's fun to outline Paul. John, he's a fisherman. <laughs> he's all over the place. But he lands on these three spiritual birthmarks. He summarizes them in chapter two, and he just keeps coming back, coming back, coming back to them. Call them spiritual birthmarks. is because Paul says that you were sealed by the Spirit of God, Paul says in Romans 8, if I don't have the Holy Spirit in me, I'm none of his. So if I can see some evidence that the Spirit of God actually lives within me in some mysterious way, then I'm fine. I know why I know. The problem is he doesn't tickle. I've never, I can't smell him. I can't feel him. How do I know what that I know? 
that I have a relationship with God and part of him, his spirit of God is within me. When you're given birth, some people have spiritual birthmarks. John's going to give you three. These will be three experiences that you can answer, that you experience or you don't. And by this evidence, you will know why you know. Notice the first one. He says in chapter 2, when he summarized these in chapter 2, verses 3 and following, here's the first spiritual birthmark. Evidence, spirit of God is within you. And by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Notice Paul's not running for office here. He's a, a liar. I mean, he just cuts it right straight, tells the truth. Now here he says the first birthmark is that the Holy Spirit causes you to keep his commandments. We're all hell-bent. I'm in trouble. Because if keep means to obey, I don't always obey the commands of Christ. I want to, but I blow it all the time. But you see, what was the last verse? Just two verses before that verse. The last verse of chapter one. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word's not in us. And just in front of that verse, verse 9 is the famous verse. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, he assumes we're going to keep blowing it again and again. Well, then what is this keeping his commandments as a birthmark? Simple, the word tereo doesn't mean to obey. The word tereo means to guard something as precious. To treat something, view something as important to you. See, that's again Ezekiel 36. I'll pull out your old heart and I will put my spirit within you and you'll have a desire you never had before. What desire? I treasure the commands of Christ. I want to protect the commands of Christ. I want to obey the commands of Christ. And when I don't, it bugs me. That's why I quickly confess multiple times in a day. I don't want to blow off the commands of Jesus. And if you kind of say, I don't really care what Jesus says. I don't really care about the commands of God. And what about the Ten Commandments and the commands of God? Wait, wait, wait. You know what the commands, all the commands of Jesus are? They all have one purpose. It's to show us how to honor the Father. I have this deep desire to honor God. I don't have a clue how. But Christ gives me his commands in the New Testament because all of his commands, no exception, are all purpose for one thing, to show us how to honor our heavenly Father. And if I'm honoring him, then his beauty of his person will be manifested in my life. So when he says here, what's this new desire you have? Oh, I want to honor the Father. And because I want to honor the Father, how do I feel about the commands of Jesus Christ? I guard them. They're important to me. And when I blow it, I own up to it. I confess it. And I kind of get the dust off my knees and get back to it. It's the first spiritual birthmark. We keep tereo, guard, care off, do not blow off the commands of Christ. Second birthmark, he picks it up in verse 7. Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you which is true in him and in you. John's not he's selling me a car. I mean, is it new or is it not new? Well, it's new, but it's old. Well, it's old, but it's really new. What's he talking about? Well, he says, verse 9, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light 
and there is no cause of stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know what he is doing and for he is blinded. So second birthmark has something to do with loving one another. It's interesting. Second birthmark is obeying the first command of the commandments of Christ. Remember in John 13, 34 and 35, this I command that you love one another as I've loved you. For if you love one another as I loved you, all men will know you're not phonies. All men will know that you are my disciples. Well, what's he mean? It's old, it's new, it's new, it's old. Well, it goes all the way back to Moses, Leviticus 19. He's the first one to say, love your neighbor as yourself. And that was a big deal to the Jews. You remember that one time in Matthew 22, a lawyer, Jesus is interacting with these scribes and Pharisees and he's, he's bumming them out. So they do what we do sometimes when we're in trouble, they hire a lawyer and they hire a Pharisee lawyer to come up and try to trick Jesus. And in Matthew 22 is the account and the guy says, what's the most important thing God ever said? Now, the phrase is, what's the greatest of all the commandments? But what does that mean? What's the most important thing God has ever said? And Jesus answers, you know, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind. It's like the lawyer's gonna walk away and Jesus says, get back here, I'm not done. For the second is as the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, upon these two commands, all the prophets, all the law rest. Most important thing God ever said. Now here's the kicker. Later on, Paul, in Galatians chapter five, verse 14, Paul asked the question, do you want to fulfill the law of Christ? Yeah. So he says, love your neighbor as yourself. You go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Paul, Paul, was that a senior moment? You forgot the first part, the loving God part. Then you love your neighbor as yourself. But he just skips the first part. You want to fulfill the law of Christ? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, maybe it is a senior moment. Paul's getting, you know, I'm getting his age. He's my age. But then John had a senior, I mean, James had a senior moment. Because James chapter 2, verse 8, James says, you want to fulfill the law of God? Well, yeah. And guess what he says? Love your neighbor as yourself. James, you're forgetting the first part of loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. No, they're not. Do you think God's going to trust you with saying, I want you to love me and you figure out how? Oh, great. What would we do? We have thousands of religions and we have all kinds of rules and regulations and we do that. And then some would actually cut people's heads off and say, we're doing it because we love God. God doesn't trust you as far as he can throw you. As far as you figuring out how you're going to love him, God says, there's only you, I'll tell you how you, I'm loved. And there's only one way I'm loved. I don't care if you go to church. I don't care if you're nice. There's only one way I'm loved. And that's when you What? Love your neighbor as yourself. You love those who bear the image of my son, the image of myself. And so, therefore, here he says the second birthmark is this love. Now, love. Like I said, is that kissy-facey, huggy body? That's kind of a little makes awkward. The Greeks had different words for love. They had the word eros, erotic love, passion, kind of like what you two share. You know, I could tell. Then you also, but it's an emotion. It's an emotion. And it's great, but it's an emotion. They had the word philo, which is like friendship. You know, both people like to uh, uh, ski. Well, you know, that because you share that in common, you have this friendship. It's a philo friendship. It's an emotion. Then they had the word storge. 
That's what you got for family. Uncle Bowman, Aunt Selma, you're kind of stuck with it. But it's family love. It's an emotion. Well, here's the problem. You can't command an emotion. You can't, I, I command you to have feelings towards me. I can't, I can, I can cause emotion. <laughs> Holly says I have that gift of irritation. But the fact is, is that I can cause, but I can't command emotion. Well, if that's the case, would somebody help me with what Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35 when he said, now this command I give unto you that you what? Love one another. How can you command it when it's an emotion? Well, that's because he doesn't use the word eros, storge or philo. He uses a word that wasn't that popular in Greek literature, agape. Because all the word means is to recognize the worth of something and then making the choice to treat it according to its worth. That's all the word means. It's a choice. It has nothing to do with how you feel. We don't even have to like each other. Isn't that good news? But we choose because something causes us to recognize that every human being bears the image of God. And that's something that causes us to recognize the worth of other human beings is the evidence of the Holy Spirit within you. It's the second birthmark. It's to love others by recognizing their great worth and making the choice to treat them with that worth with well-being. What's the third spiritual birthmark? Well, he gives it right here. He says, verse 20, but uh, you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know this. The anointed, you received something from God so that you know something. What, what, what is it? It's the third birthmark. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who's the liar? The one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the one who denies that Jesus is God the Son. Hmm. Do you think you figured out Jesus on your own? I know some brilliant people who do not believe in Jesus Christ. And I know some brilliant people who do. I know some real num-nums who don't believe in Jesus Christ. And I know some real num-nums who do. I know children who believe in Christ. Old people, do you really think it was an algorithm that you figured it out? Somehow you deduced out of all the facts and things you got, all right, I've got this figured out. No, even Jesus admits that. In John 6, 44, Jesus says, no one comes unto me. I mean, think about it. 2,000 years ago, a little Jewish guy, about five foot six, five foot seven, he's God in the bod, created the heavens and the earth. He was indeed God's provision for our forgiveness. When he was executed by Rome, it was a sacrifice to God. And if you believe in that and God raised it from the dead, you are saved. That's the most unbelievable story ever told. And when you share with somebody and they look cockeyed, it's probably because they're intelligent. Well, then the question is, how come I believe that truth about who Jesus is? Well, finish what Jesus said. Like I said in John 6, 44, Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. Now read the next verse, verse 45. For the prophets say, they shall be taught of me by my Father in heaven. Who caused you to recognize the truth that this little Jewish guy 2,000 years ago was actually God's son? And he's the Christ, God's provision for our forgiveness. You were taught that directly by God the Father. 
You tell me if he wants you in his family. He caused you to recognize the truth because you never would on your own. And he wanted you to know it. And so the third birthmark is that you may not know why you believe what you believe about Jesus, but you know you believe he's God the Son. And he is, as John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. He's the Christ. He's God's provision for our forgiveness. And that's the third birthmark. So when we put everything all together, it comes down basically to, to one thing. How do I know that I know? Because I need to know I'm a child of God. I have a relationship with God as my father, not my creator. And all of a sudden, I have these three experiences that show me how I know that I know that I have a heavenly father and therefore a deep desire to honor him. First birthmark, I had this deep desire to keep his commandments, the commandments of Christ. Why? Because I had this deep desire to honor God as my father and the commands of Christ is actually a very map on how to do so. So do I blow off what Jesus says? If you're sitting here, you say, I really don't care what Jesus said. Oh man, then we got to start all over with you. But if you sit there and go, well, yeah, I do care. When I blow it, I confess it. I own up to it. I, I treat what Jesus says is important to me. First birthmark, good for you. Second birthmark, you have this deep ability to recognize the worth of others. No matter what race, what language, what cultural background, what country, the fact is you recognize the truth that every human being bears the image of God and you have that desire and you will make that choice to treat them with their well-being and care about their well-being. Or do you just kind of like, I don't really care about anybody else. Me, myself, and I, the blessed eternity, that's all I'm all about. Then we got to start all over with you. But on the other hand, you know, I really do recognize that human beings bear the image of God and I care about their well-being. And when I have an opportunity to manifest that to those around me, I will. And then what is the third birthmark? I can't tell you why. I can give you hundreds of arguments for the resurrection, the deity, the Bible. But down deep, how do I know that I know? Because I know Jesus is who he claimed to be. He's God's son. He's the Messiah, the Christ. God's provision for my forgiveness. So when I know and I see the experience, I experience the very three spiritual birthmarks. It's just like what John said. I've written these things that you might, what? Know. To have eternal life. And when you know you're a child of God, and now you understand that deep desire to honor God as your father, you'll get back to the theme of the universe, the whole purpose of your life. People kind of say, why are we here? Well, what? We live. We die. They put us in a hole. The flowers grow. Cow comes along, eats the flowers. We kill the cow. We eat. We live. We die. They put us in a hole. The flowers grow. The cow eats the flowers. We eat the cow. We live. We die. You get this idea. There's got to be something more to it. And what's more to it is you're creating the image of God. And your purpose of life, your theme of the universe, is to get in tune with the theme of the universe. Because if it's just left to the universe, all they know is that God could be a cosmic bully. But it's on us to manifest the beauty of our creator so they be drawn to the true person of who God is. Does this make sense? Because that's your purpose. That's why you're a child of God. 
Jesus calls you a disciple. The world calls you Christians. I don't want to care what the world says. Remember who you are. Walk worthy of it. Just walk worthy of who you are and the light will show. Even when you don't even open your mouth, they'll be coming asking you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would let this sink in. May your spirit residing in us just confirm this truth. And Father, help us stop beating up on ourselves. There's nothing wrong with doubts from time to time unless doubts are simply manifesting unbelief. Father, cause us not to lose our faith. But deepen it, we ask in the name of Christ that we might glorify you. And God's people said, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.